Hi. Hello. How often do you get mad at your kids? At your husband? At your husband and your kids at the same time, but then also at the world and particularly at our country that isn't set up to take care of mothers, women, and caregivers? I am going to be very honest with you here. I get pissed off all the time. I feel so much rage. I feel so much rage. I want things to be different. I want more help. I want my kids to put their sneakers in the same place every night so that we don't have to go on a sneaker scavenger hunt for them every single morning while I try to keep my cool. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay for us to be mad and it's okay for us to feel rage. We've all been there. My guest today, Minna Dubin, came to a real breaking point in her life with her own mom rage. She was at the point where her rage was permeating her whole body. She would have to clench her fists and summon all of her energy to keep it inside when she was furious with her kid for the big things and the small things. And Minna felt terrible about it. She felt terrible because she felt like mom rage is not appropriate. Moms are supposed to be martyrs. We're supposed to be patient. We are not supposed to feel rage, especially not about our kids. Minna took matters into her own hands. She took an anger management course. She went to therapy. And finally, she did what writers always do. She wrote about her rage. She wrote about it in a big place, the New York Times. And she fully expected to be trolled and shamed and essentially shit on on the internet. But instead, but instead, she got letters. She got letters from moms all over the world who were also filled with rage that they didn't know what to do with, who also needed help and a community and just someone to listen to them. So Minna set about compiling the stories in her new book, aptly titled Mom Rage, The Everyday Crisis of Modern Motherhood, and she's trying to help mothers find both absolution and a place for their rage. See, We're talking about this on this show because we live in a world where rage definitely doesn't seem like it belongs on social media, where we see mostly picture-perfect images of motherhood interspersed with wine moms bottling up their rage in a very quiet and pretty and drunk way. I wanted to chat with Minna about my own rage, my own exhaustion, the ways that I cope with wanting to scream at my kids, bottling it up inside and becoming a wine mom myself. Where do we put this rage? And how do we truly connect with other mothers to quell it? Hi. Hi. How are you doing? How has your mom rage been this week? Oh, um, it was fine today. You know, and I wouldn't say it was mom rage necessarily, but I had a tough morning. We had the whole there's no shorts long enough that fit my daughter. And she wanted to wear the shorts from three years ago that are barely shorts. And I was like, you can't wear those to school. And she was like, please let me wear what I want. And I was like, you know, caught between like, am I being an anti-feminist if I tell her not to wear the shorts that are so inappropriate? I don't think it is anti-feminist. And maybe people are going to troll me for this. I just don't think that little girl shorts should be up their ass. It's how yeah. I feel. It is it is a deeply held belief of mine and I will I will say it until yeah. the end of time. Yeah. I know. I'm always like is this the hill I'm going to die on this morning and I decided that it was. So, 
Good. You die on that hill. You die on that hill of, I don't want to see your butt cheeks. Exactly. Mm-mm. So no. that was my morning, but I'm happy to be talking to you now. I know. Me too. Me too. And we're not here to talk about little girl butt cheeks today. No. Because that would be creepy. We are here to talk <laughs> about Mom Rage and your wonderful book that I had the pleasure of doing an event for you for this week. Mom Rage. I want everyone to go out and get it because I think that this is a book unlike anything that has been written before about the feelings so many of us have about being a parent in a world that doesn't support us. Thank you. I want to start by tell the audience a little bit about when you recognized that Mom Rage was something that you as a journalist and a writer had to put out into the world? Yeah. um, I mean, I first wrote about it in 2019 in an essay for the New York Times called The Rage Mothers Don't Talk About. And that was really just a personal essay about my own fury that felt uncontrollable and new in motherhood. But the response from that led me really on a journalistic investigation for the next three years that became this book because I got such a big response from people that I realized that it wasn't just me and I wasn't just a bad mom. And this was happening all over the world, actually. And it was basically a societal phenomenon that that people were sort of ashamed of and not really talking about. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that we are ashamed to feel anger, to feel rage as as a mother, as a as a person who has children in the world? Uh, I think that being angry is uh, an uncomfortable experience. And in particular, it is um, it is thought of by society as not something that women should be. And then I think it gets, you know, it goes to the extreme for mothers because we have this mythical version of motherhood that mothers are supposed to be, you know, uh, self-sacrificing and have no needs and always patient and gentle and basically a non-human. Um, mm-hmm. And any time that a mother steps out of that box of perfect caregiving uh, and is angry, it's basically the worst thing a mother can be. And there's punishment, whether that's, uh, you know, an actual punishment or social, you know, people judging the mother. And so you know, we feel bad about it because we have been taught that this is sort of anti-mother and we don't want to be anti-mother. We want to be a good mother. Right, right. And our our society has such narrow views of what a good mother is. Right. Right? Yeah. And it's impossible. (laughs) It's a narrow view. Right. It's a box that none of us will ever stay inside. Um, Never, never, ever. And so... You write this essay. What did it feel like when it went viral? When you when you first realized, oh, my God, this it's not just me. And there's so many women around the world who feel this way. Uh, It felt it felt surprising. I think I think I didn't realize that I was very afraid to publish this essay because Mm -hmm. it was I felt like I was setting myself up for a public shaming and instead basically got all these messages. And so it felt like it felt very exciting. It felt relieving that it wasn't just me. And I, you know, it was the most public feedback 
I, or most feedback at all that I'd ever gotten on a piece of writing. And um, I felt like my, I was buzzing underneath my skin from getting all those emails. And I just felt like it felt like something was happening. Something very exciting was happening. And I didn't quite know what it was then, but now I know it was the beginning of this book. Right. And and I think the beginning of a movement towards talking about the real anger that mothers feel and that we feel like we cannot talk about. And I, I understand why you were nervous to put this out there. You opened the New York Times story by saying things like, I want to hurt someone. I am tears and fury and violence. I want to scream and rip open pillows, toss chairs and punch walls. When I get mad like this around my three-year-old son, I have to say to myself like a mantra, don't touch him, don't touch him, don't touch him. I think we can all feel that our children, they, they drive us to the brink so often, and yet we would never hurt them. But we have this rage inside of us. And instead of, of getting nasty comments, you had so many other women say, me too. Me, yeah. me too. Because they're, I think as mothers, we all have this empathy for being in that situation. Because as you say in this piece, mother rage is not, quote, appropriate. We right. are not supposed to want to tear out our hair or, God forbid, hit our children we have to hide all of these things. And you write about the price that we pay for hiding these things. And you talk mm -hmm. to so many women in this book about the price they've paid and how it has impacted their mental and their physical health. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. What are the consequences of holding this rage and this shame and this guilt inside? You know, the irony of holding the rage and the shame and the guilt inside is that it just leads to more rage. Because we're, you know, whacking down the emotions, trying not to express them. And then what happens is they eventually come out and they come out as an explosion. So holding it in is not particularly helpful. And, you know, I write in the book that, you know, some moms, we think of mom rage as being very loud. And for me personally, you know, I'm like a yeller, a stomper. But there are lots of moms who are also just internalizing their rage. And that ends up looking like numbing out on your phone. Uh, self-harming, possibly abusing alcohol and drugs. So like the rage is going to come out no matter what. Right, right. And you talked to some women who are trying to soothe this rage with alcohol and with drugs. And I think we see that a lot, too, in mommy wine culture. Totally. Uh, on, so on social media, it's such a huge thing. And I think about it now after reading your book, that when we see so much mommy wine culture on social media, that it is a lot of women trying to soothe their pain and soothe the rage that they're feeling inside, that they feel like they cannot express in a picture. And so instead, they pour themselves a glass of wine and take a video of that. Right. Because we can't actually leave our situations. And I'm not saying that we want to leave our children. But, you know, I think we have moments where we want to leave the situation of of what motherhood is in a, in this culture. And there's no actual way to leave. And so the drugs or alcohol is a way to, to, to exit, you know, when there's no other way to get out. Right, right, exactly. And you talk, you talk a lot in the book about what motherhood is in our culture, that it is all-consuming, that from the second we 
take a pregnancy test, we are no longer ourselves, that we become mommy. And how is our culture set up to com- continue to perpetuate this rage, to, to, not, to not help us uh, in any way, to not make this easier in any way? Well, I mean, for one thing, we don't acknowledge that motherhood is this complete identity volcano that happens. And that once we be, once we reproduce, our our value in the world is seen as being caregivers and kind of managers of the domestic space. And so our identities, which before we had children, were totally complicated and beautiful and messy, and they get our identity gets flattened into being just. Mom. And so I think some of the rage is about fighting against that flattening and trying to claw ourselves out of of being just mom. And then I would say that the culture, the society doesn't support mothers in a variety of ways, you know, from having no paid family leave. So there's no one to help the mother unless she's got, you know, some amazing community she's built or a mother or mother-in-law who are actively engaged and live near her because, you know, the the spouse doesn't have family leave either, right? So she's mostly just dealing with it herself and then we don't have universal child care and so our choice is either money or mommy right either the mommy takes care of the children or she has money to pay someone else to take care of the children and we also don't have you know very accessible or affordable mental health treatment for moms or for anyone for that matter (laughs) for for anyone no one no one gets mental health in this country you're not allowed to have it unless you're a very very rich person and then That's right. you usually complain about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think about that all the time when I watch Woody Allen movies now as a grown ass mm-hmm. woman who lives in the post Me Too era. And I know we're not supposed to watch them, but I still watch them. And everyone is always complaining about therapy. And I can all I all I can think is you're so goddamn lucky you have all the therapy. Stop complaining about having all of the therapy all the time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in America, we think of the postpartum period as being this like, you know, six to 12 week period. And then all support cuts off. Like there's no more postpartum appointments with the doctor. You're no longer getting screened for postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. You're just, all right, you pushed out a baby. Go ahead, mom, go live your life and take care of everyone, including yourself all by yourself. Well, and we talked a little bit the other day about the baby shower. Right. Right. About how the baby shower is this cultural thing that is all about the baby instead of preparing a mother for this new person that she is about to become. And instead of caring for her, you just get a zillion goddamn swaddles. No one needs that many swaddles. (laughs) Instead of getting frozen meals and gift certificates for massages and nice candles, I don't know, the the shit that would make life a little bit better and easier for mom when a baby would be happy sleeping in a box, okay? A baby doesn't need, baby needs nothing. I'm going to say this to all of the new moms out there. If I've learned anything, a baby needs nothing. But sadly, they need you. They need you. They need you and your love. But they don't need any stuff. No stuff. That's right. Mm -mm. That's right. Yeah, we have no, we have no rituals for American motherhood. Everything is about the baby and the mother disappears basically once the baby comes. And, you know, we talked about this at the event and in the book, I write that 
At baby showers, I give an economy-sized bottle of laxatives because that is what postpartum mothers actually need in addition to, you know, childcare. We, they they need they need childcare. They but yes, and I give new mothers a squatty potty because much like laxatives, you know what new mothers want to do? They just want to poop. I think I think that you and I need to start our own motherhood ritual that we can shop around America. Yeah, done. Done. Let's I'm gonna I'm gonna write a substack about this and I'll make you a co-author this week for what we think the ritual around motherhood should be. And right. it, I mean, look, sorry, guys, it involves a lot of talking about poop. Yep. Does. Yeah. Yep. Um, I still I actually still have a bunch of laxatives and stool softeners in oh, my so many. I have so many yeah. bottles. Yeah. In, in in my medicine cabinet, because I'm like, you never know when you're when you're going to need this. But I am making a care basket for a friend who's having a baby in January. And I finally just packed packed her all those stool softeners and mm-hmm. with a note that says, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Yeah. You Trust better get, me. Are you getting a squatty potty too? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've already ordered her the squatty potty um, because, yeah, like that's that's the real shit. And also the massive mesh hospital underwear. I will say this this pregnancy, this, you didn't expect this conversation to go this way, but with, <laughs> with this baby, I just bought myself a shit ton of Depends. Uh-huh. After after I had the baby and then stuck the pads in there because I'm like, I'm just going to wear adult diapers now because yeah. trying to balance it in normal underwear has never worked. And yet the hospital doesn't give you nearly enough adult diapers. They give you that mesh underwear, but you need an adult diaper is what you need. They give you no adult diapers. I think that we should put adult diapers in the uh, mm-hmm. in the care package. Yeah. Yeah. They're adult diapers. But it depends. This is what you need. All right. We're going to we're working on this. Everyone, we're working on solving this problem. And we're going to take a quick break right now. But we will be back after the break to talk more about mom rage. But the upside, what can we do? How can we, quote unquote, cure it? You know, you know, what makes me really kind of ragey? Going to the grocery store, going to the grocery store and being the one person in my house that figures out what to cook for dinner. I want someone else to take that off my plate. I do. I do. And that is why I am very, very into HelloFresh right now. HelloFresh makes it very easy to make mealtime more fun, more exciting, and frankly, the most important thing, just plain easier for me. For me. What I love the most is that HelloFresh does all of the shopping and meal planning for you. The ingredients arrive right at your doorstep, pre-portioned, along with step-by-step recipe cards. They're so easy that almost anyone in my house, except maybe the baby, can follow them. So not only do they completely take the hassle out of mealtime, but they also save me money. Because when I'm tired and I don't want to cook, which is a lot because there are three children under the age of six here, I end up ordering takeout. And takeout is very, very expensive. And that means I've got to sell a lot of books, make a lot of podcasts. HelloFresh is way cheaper than takeout and the grocery store. It's apparently about 25% less expensive than takeout, which is something that I like a lot because I like having more money in my pocket. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Terry. That's the number five. 
the number zero, and T-E-R-R-Y. You can use the code 50Terry for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, one more time, go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Terry and use the code 50Terry for 50% off plus free shipping. I'm telling you, you're going to like the HelloFresh. They are America's number one meal kit for a reason. Hi. Hi. We are back with Minna Dubin, the author of Mom Rage. This is one of those books that I want to give to every new mother, much like I gift Jess Gross's book, Screaming on the Inside. And not just, you know, yes. what? I, hate, I, I, I hate myself for saying that. I do. I shut up, Joe. Not every new mother, every new parent, every new mom and dad, because frankly, I think dads should be reading this book too, because we know we're mad and they yeah. don't, and they don't understand it a lot of the time, right? Yes. And, and dads, dads don't understand it. They don't know what to do about it. And they're just, they feel alone too. Everyone is alone in mom rage. Mm-hmm. And this book, I think, is one of like one of the ways that you can say to your partner, especially a father, this is what's happening for me and to have them understand you better. And there there is there's stuff that's written in the book specifically for partners. And there's a whole chapter basically called bringing your part, bringing your partner out of enemy territory and basically using your partner's um, closeness to your rage for to learn about your rage because they actually know your rage the best besides you. True. True. So they know your rage, but they don't, they don't always know what to do with it. I think. Um, That's a whole other episode. I really, I really think it is because what I want to dive into you right now is what did you do? You actually joined a 12-week anger management group. How how did you get to the point where you said, this is what I need to be doing? And that, did that work? You know, I had so many moments along the journey that were like, okay, I need to deal with this. Or my partner saying to me, okay, you need to deal with this. And so the anger, manage group, anger management group for mothers was one of those stages. And I would not say that the anger management for group, group for mothers was particularly helpful um, for me. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't be for other people, but it wasn't for me. I think that therapy has been incredibly important and couples therapy. And also in the book, I talk about this process called inviting your rage to tea, which is really about um, not being ashamed of your rage and actually getting curious about it and basically becoming a researcher or sociologist of your own rage and beginning to like take notes and get really, really, really smart about when you rage, where you rage, what happens before you rage and figuring out what your triggers are, what makes you crazy um, so that we can get really smart about it and then have a sort of mindfulness about it that doesn't happen otherwise when we're sitting, you know, in silence and shame around it. I think that that's really the most important thing I've done. Like, I think that writing this book, I think that talking to mothers, I think that 
constantly having conversations around mom rage, having my kids on tour, like having them understand what mom rage is, like just bringing it out into the open so that we are all sort of engaged in conversation around it all the time makes it so that when I want to explode, me and everyone around me is a little more aware of what's happening and we can be like, okay, everyone break. Like, and we'll all take a break, you know, like part Mm -hmm. of it is about just it being in the open. Right. Exactly. I I think I think so much of everything is it being out in the open is us just talking about these things that are supposed to be taboo, that we're not supposed to talk about what Anne Lamott calls the myth of maternal bliss that we're hiding behind. I've tried to be better about saying, you know, this is a lot for me. Mommy is having a lot of emotions right now. Yes, you guys are having a lot of emotions and I need to take I need a minute. I need right. I need to breathe. I need to go sit in the bathroom with my phone for five minutes because I'm feeling all the feelings right now. And that's right. You know, that's the best that I can do. I don't I don't think there is a golden ticket to serenity, but I think that there's things we can do to feel better. Yeah. And, and I'd say that the thing about the anger management group which I think I said in that article was that it offered a reflection to me of myself, which I don't see in the public narrative around motherhood. You know, one of the problems about motherhood in America is that the narrative that we see in in every message like media, movies, your own mother, celebrities, is that motherhood is this, you know, blissful experience. And if you're struggling you better be quiet because that says you're a bad mother and you're talking badly about motherhood and your children and maybe you don't love your children and maybe you're neglectful. Like, you know what I mean? It goes down this whole rabbit hole. And so the the amazing thing about the anger management group, which is really just about mothers talking to each other, is that then we see a reflection of ourselves and our experience and we realize that we're not crazy and we're not bad and that there's a whole societal setup that's making this quite difficult. Yeah, we're not crazy. We're not bad. The mo- the majority of us are good mothers, but we also live in a society that doesn't prepare us to be mothers and that doesn't acknowledge the massive shift we undergo when we become mothers, which we talked about the other day and you write about, you have a whole chapter about this in Mom Rage, your book, Matrescence, the, the b- period where you become a mother and your brain and your body changes and you're you're a completely different human being afterwards but when right. we were doing our book talk here at the Philadelphia Barnes and Noble we asked people to raise their hands if they'd ever heard the word matrescence and i think maybe three people did mm-hmm. and they were all women and one was a therapist <laughs> yeah and and you know a couple of days later i did an event at uh, teacher's College at Columbia with Dr. Orly Athan, who I think of as the mother of matrescence because she's really brought that word into the world. And matrescence is the life phase of becoming a mother. And I think that that word is, you know, on its way to blowing up. And there's a new book that's out called that by Lucy Joan. And I think that just like the acknowledgement of motherhood as as this big life shift in the way that we think of adolescence as this big life shift would change the way that we treat and take care of our mothers. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we acknowledged that what happens when you start the journey 
of motherhood. And that journey can begin anywhere. It can begin when you start thinking about having a baby. It can begin when the baby comes out of your body. If we think about it in the same way that we think about puberty and adolescence and how you become a totally different human being then, then I think that we will have a lot more respect for this process. Yeah. Yeah. And um, speaking of therapy, I actually have therapy in a couple of minutes. You should go. Get out of here. <laughs> well, tell, tell everyone where they can find you on the socials and find your book, because I will never make anyone late for therapy. Thank you. Um, everyone can find me. I'm on Instagram at Minna Dubin. That's M-I-N-N-A-D-U-B-I-N. Uh, all of the info about everything that I publish or about the book um, is on my website at minadubin.com. Brilliant. I love talking to you. I have me no too. rage. I have no rage right now. I know. I feel so good. What will I even talk about in therapy? I don't need that. Something will come up. Don't you worry. 